0: God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on My Bridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. This is a great series, and you're going to find, even in the passage we're about to read, you're going to see again the, that, that John is, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's underscoring the importance of belief and believing. And we are actually in this, this time this day before Jesus actually being arrested and crucified. He's at the Last Supper. Uh, He said some things that have rattled the disciples. I mean, he's told them that there's going to be a betrayal. He told them that Peter, the strongest one among them, is going to deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. He's talked about his death, and they're just really disturbed. And so at the very beginning of chapter 14, he says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. And really, it's a command. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he talks about going to a place, to be with the Father, to prepare a place for us in, the, in my Father's house, he says. And I think I mentioned uh, that DC Talk did a song. It wasn't DC Talk. It was audio adrenaline for all of you who were, like couldn't get past me making that mistake, okay? <laughs> my Father's house, okay, yeah. Um, really dates some of us, though. But he's talking about this, my Father's house, and, and, and he says, I'm, man, you guys know the way, the way I'm going, And the disciples are like, wait, and thank God, you know, uh, Thomas speaks up. He says, hey, no, we don't. We don't know the way you're going. And then Jesus launches into one of the greatest statements in the Gospel of John, and it really correlates with what God said to Moses when Moses was asking God, who do I tell them is sending me to deliver them? And Jesus says, I am. And it's the sixth time that he says this in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no man or woman goes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus' response. And that's kind of where we left it. We talked about what that all means last weekend, but now we're looking at verse 7. If you have your Bibles, go with me there. Yeah. Gospel of John. Yeah. Woo! We love the Word of God. Jesus continues the conversation. It says, last address with his disciples before he's arrested and crucified. If you had really known me, you would, have, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord. So now Philip's entering the conversation. Thomas broke the ice. Philip says, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, I have been with you all this time, Philip. And yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? In verse 10, don't you believe, there's that word, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, listen to the humility here, or at the very minimum, at the least believe because of the work, because of the work you've seen me do. Now listen to this promise. Verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will what? Do it. So Wendy's cousin Susanna and her husband Ulf were, say Ulf, Ulf. were visiting us from Germany. What a name, right? I kept saying it wrong for so long, Ulf. And Ulf was awesome. I got to love this guy. Uh, He was an engineer. He traveled internationally with his company. He was quietly reserved, kind, extremely intentional, uh, also extremely intelligent. He spoke like multiple languages. He spoke English better than me, which isn't saying a whole lot. Um, And he read books incessantly. He was a learner above learners, just just a deep man. And one of the evenings, we invited all of our family over just to hang out with them. And and this was before we had grandkids, and so we loved doing games. Well, we we love doing games with grandkids too, but how many of you know it changes when you got grandkids, the kind of games you can do? Well, this one evening, we decided we were going to do this thing that will really date me and some of you. Some of you remember this video game. It was called Dance Dance Revolution. I think Nintendo, right? Maybe it's a Wii even. I don't remember. But anyway, Dance Dance Revolution. It's a crazy game. And we thought Ulf would probably just want to watch and you know, laugh at the rest of us, at those who are making kind of fools of themselves. But, man, he actually said he wanted to do it. And so he decided to play. And so here's this, this quiet, reserved man who's kind of stoic he starts dancing and i'm not just talking like kind of dancing i'm talking high octane dance moves <laughs> we're like freaking out we're all like ah we're falling on the floor who is this man you know we were in shock because we learned something about him we would never have guessed by just hanging out with him now here's here's a crazy part the disciples had spent over three years with jesus and he's still unpacking who he is to them that's how deep god is And they still weren't getting it. Now, we've all met people and hung out with people. As a matter of fact, if you're married, you get this. You learn something new all the time about your spouse. Well, the disciples weren't able to really grasp everything that Jesus was wanting them to understand about him. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, the word know is used 141 times. The word believe is used 98 times. You see... John wants every reader to understand that God is not asking for blind faith. He wants you to know God because in knowing God, your faith grows. It's the process of growing your faith is knowing him. And Jesus is trying to get his disciples to know him. Now, in the Gospel of John, um, the word know is used four different ways. One way is used like just knowing the facts, just knowing the details of a situation, or the environment or the situation, how many people need to be fed. Uh, The other way John uses the word no is to express the facts behind maybe um, the details, to give a little bit more details. And then the other way he uses the word no is to casually become familiar with something or someone, like you've just met them, you've just got a chance to, to meet who they are. But the way John is using it here in our text He's using the word "no" to imply that he wants his disciples to have a deeper comprehension, a fuller understanding of who he is, his identity, and what his mission is all about, what his purpose is. And the kind of tension that I would hope we would all feel a little bit here is if the disciples could spend three some plus years with Jesus and still miss it, how much more could we? Do you know it's possible for you to come every single weekend to fill, sit in a seat, even serve on one of our dream teams, and still not really know him? Matter of fact, studies have shown that many in the church are biblically illiterate. They know about God, but they don't know God. And there are roadblocks that keep us from knowing him. And we see several of them in scripture right here. So what I'd like to do in the next few minutes, I'm going to have to go through this really, really rather quickly, is I want to share with you two roadblocks. And then I want to unpack for you four principles in knowing God. And that's the title of this week's message, knowing God. So what are the roadblocks? Roadblock number one that keeps us from knowing God happens to be our misconceptions of God's nature. Look at the scripture there. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. If you want to understand who God is and the God of the Old Testament, you only have to look to Jesus to understand who God is, the Father is. And the disciples had already affirmed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they weren't quite comprehending that the Messiah, the the Deliverer, was also deity and that he was capable of being God and he and the Father being one. And the truth is, they grew up with the Hebrew understanding that they would be separate. And so they weren't able to make the connection. We all grow up, church, all of us, we all grow up with baggage in our relationship with God. Based on our upbringing, our culture, our life experiences, customs, and our worldview, they all form a lens by which we view God. Take a deep breath right now. There's not a one of us that hasn't been influenced by our upbringing, culture, or our our community, our church. I mean, this influence can actually either help us know God or distort an accurate narrative of who God is. And the disciples, man, they, they, they really had trouble with this. Now, narrative, I'm bringing up narrative because narrative is the central function of the human mind. We all do it. We all turn everything in our lives into stories. We, we make, that's how we make sense in life. We dream in a narrative. We daydream in a narrative. We remember, anticipate, hope, despair, believe, doubt, plan, revise, criticize, construct, gossip, learn. We hate and we love by narrative. That's how we turn or spin the stories how we begin to see our life. And there's always a good guy, and there's always a bad guy. It's what we do. For example, some of us grew up without a loving father. We had a father who maybe was always criticizing us or angry with us. We could never please him, or maybe he was absent. And so when you hear the preacher or you read in scripture about God being a father, a good father, your narrative is plain. No, no. God is always angry at me. Or you grew up in a church that was legalistic, and so in your mind, your narrative is, well, I have to to somehow earn God's love. Come on, you know what I'm talking about here? Or I have to somehow do certain things to get God to want to like me or love me. Because that's the narrative. And we need to be able to expose these misconceptions. And the way you do it is you look at the life and the teachings of Jesus. Do your conceptions of who God is align with who Jesus is and the way he lived? See, we're shaped by the stories and narratives that run in our head. And here's the main point. These narratives that are running all the time, they're, they're not just running. Many times they're ruining our lives. So we need to confront the wrong narratives, we, and we need to see God through the lens of Jesus, because that's who he is, that he is deity. And remember, he's going to unpack the third person in the Trinity uh, next weekend, the Holy Spirit. And some of us we have trouble grabbing hold of that. Well, God wants to help you in this time. So first roadblock, our misconceptions of who God is. Here's the second roadblock, our misunderstanding of God's purpose. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. You see, there's something in each of us, like Philip that want God to do one more thing before we, will, before we think we're satisfied. The truth is, our nature will never be satisfied, not in, in and of by itself. I had a friend, I remember being in his apartment, he said, if God just showed up physically right here, right now, then I would believe and I'd fall at his feet and I would worship him. And I said, no, you wouldn't. Besides, God won't do that. Because God didn't come to give you what you want, he came to give you what you need. We have a tendency to want to come to God and not have to ever use faith. We don't want to have to really trust him. If, if, if God does everything the way we want him to, there's no faith involved. As a matter of fact, we are then stepping into what I would call religion. And there's thousands of religions. Christianity is not about doing, it's not about religion, it's about what Christ has done, it's about a relationship. And Philip here is illustrating what religion wants to do. It wants to be satisfied. It wants somehow for God to come to our terms. We want to somehow put God in a box and, and God has to do this and God has to do that. And then here's what we end up doing we then begin to quali- quantify and qualify what it looks like to be spiritual because then we can measure whether or not we're more holy than other people. We can contrast whether or not we're doing the kind of stuff that makes us better than other people. That's religion, that's not relationship. You need to understand the foundation to Christianity has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with what God has done. That he hung on a cross and died for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. Come on. He rose three days later and he overcame death, hell, and the grave. He is alive, my friends. That's the narrative. That he's alive. And I told my friend, you know what? He's not going to go to the cross again for you. He's already done that. Religion wants to come to God on our terms and make it about us doing something so we can measure it, so we can get our hands on it. Now, in this context where we just read, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, were looking for the Messiah to deliver them from Rome tangibly. And Jesus kept teaching his disciples that he wants a relationship. That's why he was physically there. That religion wants to change people from the outside in. It works with rules. And and to some degree, it works. It curves behavior, but it can never change the heart. And what God wants to do through relationship is he wants to change us from the inside out. He wants his government being established not in the legislature and in the kingdoms of this world, but he wants it to start in the kingdom of your heart. That's where it starts. And then from there, he wants his kingdom to to grow and, and, and to explode and influence other people's lives. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that's what God wants to do in your soul and in your world, in your life. God wants us to experience his kingdom in our heart and in his church. So two roadblocks. The first one is our misconception of his nature. The second one is our misunderstanding of his purpose. His purpose is to save the world and to rescue the individual. And then for those individuals to come together as a church with a mission to seek and save the lost, to be followers and disciples of him. So what are we as disciples and followers of Christ? What, how do we know him? How do we practically get to know God? Four principles. Here we go, real quickly. Number one, being in his presence. Look what Jesus said. I have been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. I feel like he's almost he's saddened by this. I can almost picture him being grieved. Anyone who's seen me has, has seen the Father. Jesus is telling us that the key to knowing him is spending time with him. Now, last week we talked about heaven and how amazing it's gonna be. But you don't have to wait until you die to be in his presence. He's with us right now. He wants his presence right now to invade your soul. He, wherever your foot go, God says, I'll never leave you, no forsake you. Wherever you put your foot, his kingdom resides. He wants you to know his presence. It's one of the reasons why Man, we really, we, we emphasize you having quiet time. Quiet time is you, sometime in your day, getting alone and just spending time in prayer, spending time reflecting on what maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you, learning to hear his voice, reading scripture, maybe memorizing, meditating on scripture, all part of quiet time. And you not leaving that quiet time without presence. Because the world doesn't need more Rick's presence. The world needs a Rick filled with God's presence. And that's what, man, we spend time with him. When we spend time with him, we get to know him. We want to know him more. I mean, Jesus is better than chocolate. The more you get to know him, the more you want. That's why, that's why we love worship times. God inhabits the praises of his people. There's something about a corporate group of people praising God. And the Holy Spirit's moving, and we continuously sense it. But here's the thing. You don't have to just get that corporately. You can praise him and worship him in your home. You can do it while walking down the hallway of your office. His presence is there. We've got to be a people that know how to linger in his presence. Principle number one, it's, man, it's about being in his presence and being, man, intentional about that. Here's principle number two. It's believing and trusting more. Look at his words. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Now, if I'm in that room at that moment, I'm saying, time out, Jesus. He's not talking to atheists. They already believe he's the Messiah. So this isn't about a saving faith. This is about a growing faith. I mean, Jesus goes on in verse 11. He says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And that word believe. Say believe. It's in the present active indicative tense. Here's what that means. It means it's continuing. Go on believing. Keep it up. Let your faith grow. My wife and I have this conversation fairly often. Faith is like a muscle. If you aren't using it, atrophy sets in. And I'm telling you, all across our nation and the Western world, faith has become, it has become not lean and mean, it's become weak. Because we're not, we're not using it. It's one of the reasons why I love faith commitments and vision builders. Yeah, I love the fact that we're able to give to global and local and future leaders, but I love for the person who listens and then obeys God and stretches their faith. It's a muscle. You got to use it. You got to stretch it. You got to sometimes push it. God wants you to do that. Man, I'd rather have a little fire than no fire in this house, which means we want to be a people of faith. I can hear the Apostle Paul writing the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, We hope that your faith will continue to grow. Hebrews declared, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And whoever comes to God must first believe that He is. And second, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's why I love the promise that Jesus gives us at the end of the passage that we read. Look what Jesus says to those who are believing more and trusting more. He says, I tell you the truth in verse 12. Anyone who believes in me, there's that word again, will do the same works that I have done. Wow, what? And even greater works. Church, have you been a part of that? In some ways, yes, we have because we're preaching the gospel all around the world. And yes, people are being healed and and marriages are being restored and there are miracles taking place. But but wouldn't you like to see even more of that? Because I'm going to the Father, Jesus says. Look at verse 13. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son will bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. These altars should be full of prayer of us asking. First principle, knowing God. Being in his presence. Second principle. It's believing and trusting more. Here's the third one. It's bending to his word. Look what he says: the words I speak are not my own, but the, my Father who lives in me and does his work what? Through me. Jesus here is referring to the conversations and he's had with the disciples. He's at the dinner table right now with them. And the teachings that he's given to the masses. And the inside moments of, of instruction to them when They were asking questions about his sermons. And he's saying, don't don't you remember my words? You see, God's words are powerful. Scripture tells us they're powerful. This is why we emphasize being a church that is driven by the word of God, not by the opinions of society, not by what is culturally pleasant and easy. We want the word of God to be our compass. It's our true north. Folks, this is how we get to know God. This is how we know him. And if you're not reading it, how can you know him? Why would you let anyone else love your spouse? Why would you let only your pastor know him? You need to know him because to know him is to love him. To love him is to want to obey him. This is truth. I mean, it's in this book that we discover, man, we, his, pers- his personality is revealed to us. It's in this book that his character is revealed to us. It's in this book that his heart is revealed to us. It's from this book that we learn that he's attracted to honesty and humility not self-righteousness, not anger, not not hating those who differ from us. You learn that in this book that he has commands and principles that are to be obeyed and practiced. And when they are, it's not for some narcissistic God who needs everybody to get on his side. No, it's for your sake because you have a higher purpose in life. And God wants you to fulfill his mission for your life and for him. And it's beautiful, my friends, but you have to bend to his word. I I can hear Joshua. Here's a guy who's taken over from Moses. How hard would it be to follow Moses, huh? That would be so hard, right? Moses is dead. And Joshua's so afraid, he has to hear God speak to him four times before he finally bends to the word. If Joshua needed to hear the word of God, how much more do we? As a matter of fact, God said this to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8. He said, do not let the book of this law depart from your mouth. In other words, No, 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 no. Don't you start talking about it before you meditate on it day and night so that you be careful to do everything written within it. Then listen to this promise. Then, Joshua, you will be successful and prosperous. Wow. How beautiful. In the book of James, Jesus' half-brother, James said this. He said, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. You know some of the greatest deception happens in church? He says, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. So we're always got to be asking ourselves, what's my takeaway? How do I live this out this week? How do I respond to the word of God? Do you know the word of God is so beautiful? There's stories, there's poetry, there's letters that need to be read. Man, there's, there's stories about men and women who encounter God. Don't you want to encounter him? Come on, church. Well, you, you learn that in here. You read poetry in this book of people who knew how to worship God. And they began to write songs about God. Don't, wouldn't you love it if God did such a new thing in your heart, you could write songs about him? You, you, in here in this book, you read letters in this book of people who spoke to God and who God spoke to, who spoke on his behalf. That's why Timothy, when writing to his mentee, he said, Oh, Timothy, all oh, Scripture. Is inspired of God and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that every man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to know this, we need to bend to this book. We need to yield to it. See, from Revelations to, excuse me, from Genesis to Revelations, God paints us a profile of who He is. Knowing Him, read this book. Martin Luther said this. I love the great reformer. He said, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me, it has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays hold of me. Can you say that? Or is it just a relic? Is it just another holy book? No, God wants it to be alive in your life. If you want to know God, you want to read his book. So we're talking about principles of knowing God. It's believing, Uh, it's just being in his presence, it's believing and trusting God more. It's bending a knee to his word It's Here's the fourth principle, beholding his work. And I'm getting ready to close. It's beholding his work. Look what the words of scripture say here in John 14. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Jesus makes it real clear. I've not been about information. My whole life has been about transformation. Look at the lives changed by their encounter with me. Hmm. Reflect on that you know what we really, I want to see us get better at this church is, is going slower and celebrate the wonders of what he's doing. Because there are powerful things taking place. Lives are being changed. There are beautiful discipleship stories of so people who have been walking with God for 30 years and God's taken them to another place. They're reinventing themselves as a minister or as an ambassador in the workplace or in their home. Beautiful stories. Look what Jesus did. He loved the unlovely. He made clean. He made he made what was unclean clean. He valued the marginalized. He ministered face to face with the outcast while feeding the masses. He healed the sick. He mended the broken, and he had a mission for all. And here's the crazy thing: I'm not just talking about people in the Bible. That's us. If you're a Christ follower, right? He loved me when I was most unlovable. He took the stain of my sin and he, man, he washed me clean. While others were afraid to approach Rick and talk about the stuff that was junk and ugly, were afraid to touch certain areas of my life, he touched them. My heart was sick and he healed me and he gave me mission, purpose. Church, what, what if you left here with this goal in life that your goal is to know him? What if they put it on our tombstone Rick Lorimer, a man who knew God. We want to know him. You know what religion does? Religion leads to a place where you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power of God in you. The work of God in you is to bring transformation in your life. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.